CD. All right. So tonight, I am excited about this. I've been waiting for, for quite a long time, actually, to do this, and uh, uh, the timing was right, and it just seemed right, so we are... Uh, oh, yeah, I've got to release the kids. I'm sorry. I told you I got excited. So Miss Stacy taking the kids back tonight. <laughs> but we are doing a... Uh, we're starting a study tonight on the feasts of the Lord. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years that Brother Joseph has come, Joseph Morris, uh, he's really, he's really, uh, he really tweaked my interest in this, in the fact that, um, you know, everything that God does, and, and that's one thing I was telling Stacy this afternoon, was that, you know, the, as I'm studying this and as I'm looking at this, it is really one of those things that just blows, it really just blows me away, the fact that uh, how precise... God's word truly is. It's not, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a bunch of people just throwing random thoughts down. But every single word that's written in the, that's written in this book that we have, every single word carries significance. There's not one word. There's, there's not a word out of place. There's not a word that that shouldn't be there. There's not a word that that is misrepresented. Um, you know, and I know some of the translations. Um, you know, we say that. Um, you know, could have been translated a little bit better and things like that. But, but what I'm saying though is that that and and you're going we're going to find this as we start looking at these feasts and we start looking at um, and you know the way God designed everything and just the way He laid it out. Hopefully, hopefully it will do to you what it did to me. It just puts you in awe of God again. And uh, you know, so uh, so let's look at two scriptures to begin with. And I started to uh, these are just basically my notes that I handed you tonight. Um, Instead of me just reading all of it and trying without you having reference to it, I thought, you know, I'm just going to print this off. And so some of it may not make sense. I mean, I don't know. I didn't double check all my typing and everything. Um, a lot of times I'll just write bullet points down and and uh, preach off of them, and I kind of know what I want to say. So if some of it don't make sense, you'll just have to decipher that. Pray, pray, and ask for interpretation. So that'd be good. Um, Colossians chapter two, verse sixteen and seventeen. Colossians two, sixteen and seventeen says this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to a holy day or of the new moon and of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but uh, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. So, um, so what he's saying here is this, and, and because you know one of the things one of the things that you'll find is that. Some people sometimes will get very uh, legalistic concerning the feasts and concerning Sabbath and concerning different things, and especially like if you if you uh, you know like because some all actually all of the feasts that we that we're going to look at the the Jewish people still celebrate those and they still they still partake in those feasts and you know um, um, but here Paul is saying this. He said, you know, don't let anybody judge you whether, you know, whether you keep the Sabbath or whether you, you know, keep a holy day. And actually here it says, you know, it says, or of the new moon. Now that's an interesting thing because there's about five or six scriptures in the, in the New Testament that talks about the new moon and talks about like festival of the new moon. And, uh, and we'll look at some of those. But he's not talking about, uh, you know, um, he's not talking about like horoscopes or uh, something bad in that. What we're going to find out is this, 
is that the Jewish people, they based their calendar off of a lunar, a lunar uh, calendar. In other words, they based their calendars, their dates, and their, uh, you know, what, what the, the first of every month is off of the moon, where we base our calendar off of the sun. You know, and, 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 you'll, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail in that in a second. But notice here he talks about, he says, let no man, the Amplified, uh, well, no, let's see. The Amplified says in verse 17, uh, verse 16 says about the same thing, but verse 17 says this, talking about, you know, the, the, the holy days and the, the new moon and different things like that. Verse 17 in the Amplified says this, such things are only the shadow of things that are to come, and they only have a symbolic value. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it belongs to Christ. So what he's saying is this. Even, even in the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, and, and, and Scripture bears this out, everything in the Old Testament is there for our admonition. And is there as a... And he was saying that even the feasts, even... Um, you know, even the seven... Actually, there's actually nine feasts that, that most Jewish people keep... There was two that was added uh, a little bit later, and, and we're not taking those into consideration. We're, doing the, we're basically talking about the seven feasts that they did from in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and that area. The, the, the two that were added, um, the book of Esther, when, when you read the book of Esther, they, they celebrated a feast called Purim, and that was started actually in Esther uh, because of Esther. And that was started, you know, years later after, you know, after uh, all of these other feasts had been instituted. And then the, the Feast of Hanukkah, which is celebrated around Christmas time, uh, it was actually a feast that was started by the McAdoos. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't an early feast like these, these first feasts, but they're still holy days to the Jewish people. Both of them, Purim and Hanukkah, are both holy days. But, and we may touch on them, but, but really we're, we're focusing on, on the seven feasts of the Lord uh, that we'll read the scripture here in just a second about. But notice, I, I, wanted, I wanted you to see this first, though, that, that these are all shadows, um, and you, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've heard the phrase uh, type and shadows, you know, in the Old Testament. So I, I put on here in the notes here, I put uh, the, those two things, a type and a shadow. What is a type and a shadow? A type is a person, place, thing, or event that resembles a person, place, thing, or event in the New Testament. In other words, you have types in the Old Testament that resembles somebody in the New Testament. Perfect example, Joshua in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus in the New Testament. And, you know, if you study that out, you'll see, you'll see how uh, the things he did, the things he said, the, 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 you know, the way everything worked out, he was a type, he was a resemblance. He wasn't Jesus, but yet he was a type of Jesus. Um, you know, he was, he was somebody that, it was a type in the Old Testament that revealed what Jesus would be in the New Testament. So he's not the original, but he's only a preview of the original. A shadow is, is you know, I mean, about the same thing. Uh, a shadow is an imperfect image or a copy that is a reflection of the true substance. Notice here he said, uh, Paul said here in Colossians, that those things that he just mentioned in verse 16, what was it, that that in meat, drink, respect of holy days, new moon, and the Sabbath days, and it's especially referring to those last three of the, of the holy days, of the new moon, and of the Sabbath day, Paul said those things were just a shadow 
of things that were to come. <clears throat> they, weren't the, they weren't necessarily the, the real thing, but they were a shadow. In other words, and, and the shadow says it's an imperfect image or copy that is a reflection of the true substance, a reflection of light that is cast upon the actual image. In other words, you know, just like, like here, you can see my shadow back here from the lights that's shining. Well, when you look at a shadow, you don't look at the shadow and say, you know, there's, there's Pastor Stephen. You know, you might say, there's Pastor Stephen's shadow, but the shadow itself is not me, right? And so the shadow is just a, uh, a the light has shined, the, a light shone on something that cast a shadow. So it's not the real thing. It's something, it's foreshadowing. It's something that is to come. St. Augustine said this, uh, and I'm, you've probably heard this before, uh, too, but St. Augustine said this. He said, in the Old Testament, the New Testament is concealed. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. So in other words, when we read these stories, when we read uh, of Joshua and we read of uh, Jonah and we read these stories in the Old Testament, we inside of those stories are concealed the principles of the New Testament. Then when you get to the New Testament, you'll find... A lot of times, well, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. I think I've got it down here somewhere else. But, but the perfect example is like the brazen serpent. You know the story where the, Moses and the children of Israel out there, and they were murmuring and complaining, and, and uh, God sent serpents to bite the people. You know, and, and they were biting people, and people were dropping like flies. Like 3,000 people died or something like that. You know? And Moses went to God asking him, said, you know, what, what do we do? How do we correct this? And God told him, now, in the Old Testament, when you read this, you know, you're kind of like, why in the world would God do this? But God told him, he said, make a serpent out of bronze and put it on a cross and hold it up. And whoever looks on that serpent, on that stick that's held up, they, and, and keeps their gaze on that serpent, they'll be saved. Well, what in the world would a serpent on a stick, what in the world does that mean? And, and in, in reality, you, you can read the entire Old Testament and not find the answer to that question. But then when you turn to the New Testament, John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus comes up to, uh, to Jesus and starts talking to Jesus. And Jesus tells him, just like, just like that bronze serpent being lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up and, and, and everyone that comes to him will be saved. And then, of course, he goes into John 3.16 and the great, you know, one of the, the most famous verses in the Bible. So you can see... You can see that, that there's, you know, the Old Testament contains the New Testament concealed. If you dig deep and you, and you study it and, you, and you, you do some research on it, you can find all kinds of New Testament principles in the Old Testament. But you're not going to get it just by reading it. If you just skim through, if you just skim through the Old Testament, I mean, it's a good story and you know, and, and, it, and it's okay, and it's, it's interesting, and there's a lot of weird things in there. And, you know, and you can shut the book and say, man, that was interesting, <clears throat> and not get the deeper meaning of it. But if you really get down and start studying it and start looking at it and start, and start digging into some, some of those principles, all of a sudden you'll start saying, wait a minute, that's just like what, what I read in the New Testament. And you'll start seeing the New Testament in the Old Testament. And the same thing with the old and the same thing with the Old Testament. When you come to the New Testament, you start realizing why things happen in the Old Testament, because the New Testament reveals everything that happened in the Old Testament. And that's the reason you know people say people say, oh, I don't spend any time in the Old Testament because it's the law. 
Well, no, that's not right because, because, the, because the, all of the Scripture is good for us. Amen. And we need to, you know, we need to, to study all of it. Now, yes, the New Testament is where we're living, and it's the church age, and it's, it's, it's for us. <coughs> Excuse me. But the Old Testament is there for our admonition so that we can learn and so that we can grow and, and figure these things out. So, so, uh, so that is like the, the, the type and the shadow. Now, there's another word that you might hear that is called an antitype. And, um, you know, when I, when I first heard that for a long time, I thought that meant like anti meaning against. And, you know, uh, so it would be like somebody opposite of the type that you're looking at. But actually, in, in the theology, an antitype is actually the fulfillment of the type or shadow. In other words, just like the story I talked about, about the brazen serpent, Jesus would be the antitype of that serpent being hung on the cross. You know, so he was the fulfillment of that, that type or that shadow. And just like uh, all of these feasts that we're going to look at tonight, or we won't look at all of them tonight, but we'll mention them, but, but as we start looking at these feasts, you'll find that, that there is an antitype or there is a fulfillment of that in the New Testament. We're going to look at seven feasts, and I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. There's three that are uh, in the spring, and then there's one that comes like uh, 50 days after that, and then there's three that come in the fall. Well, the three that are in the spring and the fourth one that comes 50 days after the first three, they have already been fulfilled. And the, the, the final three that are in the fall, we're still waiting on the fulfillment, the antitype. We're waiting on... Now, we know what they are, but we're just waiting on the fulfillment of it. And, and I'll explain that when we get there. Um, so the antitype is a theological term that is just a fulfillment of that type or that shadow. And, and here we... I mean, I listed about four different ones here. When Jesus compared his three, day, three days and three nights of suffering to the story of Jonah in the belly of the whale... You know, Jesus said, just like Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so must the Son of Man. Well, that was, you know, in Jonah, like in the Old Testament, you know, you would never realize just by reading the Old Testament that that was an anti, or that was a type of what Jesus would do. It wasn't until you come to the New Testament, and when Jesus made that statement that Jonah was a type, he was a shadow of me. And he said, just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish, so must I spend three days in Hades, you know, in the, in the belly of the earth. So, so that was, see, that's, that's a classic example of, you know, of, if, if, you, if, you didn't read, if you didn't put those together, you might just think the story of Jonah is just a weird story about a guy getting swallowed by a fish and then getting vomited on, on the seashore, you know. But, but that was a shadow, that was a type or a shadow of what was to come in, in the days of Jesus. Now, a lot of times, and we'll talk about this in just a second, but a lot of those times, you know, uh, when you're reading the Old Testament, you may not necessarily immediately pick up on it until, and especially if you are, um, especially if you're living in it in that time. For example, Jonah, I guarantee you, Jonah didn't know that he was foreshadowing Jesus. Jonah was just trying to survive for three days in the belly of a whale. You know, he didn't know. He wasn't down there thinking, oh, well, I've got to stay here three days because Jesus is staying in the, in the earth three days. He, he didn't know that until, you know, and nobody else knew that until Jesus spoke that and talked about it later on. <clears throat> so you may not, so if, you know, so those in the Old Testament may not, well, they probably didn't. They had no idea that they were a type and a shadow of what was to come unless it was prophesied over them 
or something like that. When Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice, you remember Isaac, his only son that he had waited 25 years for? He was like probably 12, 13 years old, somewhere in there. And God told him, he said, take him up to the mountain and, and sacrifice him. And he went to Mount Moriah, and, and he, God said, this is where I want you to do it. And he takes him up there, and he's getting ready to sacrifice him. And, and you know, the angel, or, you know, the voice from heaven cried out and said, Abraham, Abraham, you don't have to do that because you've already done it in your heart. What that was, that was a shadow of what God would be doing, giving his son as a sacrifice. A, you know, and, and God provided Abraham a ram stuck in the thickets to take that place, to take the place of Isaac, and just like what God did for us, he provided the perfect lamb for us to, to pay for the sacrifices of the whole world. You know, so, so, that, so Abraham and Isaac were, was a, were a shadow of what God would do, um, you know, to save the world. Joseph and how he provided salvation for his family through his suffering. You know, his brother sold him into, his brother sold him into slavery, just like Judas sold Jesus out. And then he went and Jesus and, and uh, Joseph was beaten and he was, and, you know, he was betrayed and, he, and, and you know, and, and he, he went through all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, it turns out that God was positioning him so that there would come a time during those famines that his family would be able to come and be saved. And Joseph ended up being a savior for their family even through, even through his hard time. Well, just like Jesus, he was betrayed, he was beaten, he was, he was crucified and all that, but yet Jesus turns, it turns out that he, was, he is our Savior. You know? So Joseph, jo the story of Joseph is an antitype, or a, I mean a type or a shadow of Jesus, and Jesus is the antitype, or in other words, the fulfillment of that in the New Testament. So all those stories, and the, bra and the brazen serpent, I put, or the bronze serpent, all of those stories in the Old Testament, they're in the Old Testament, but the New Testament is concealed in them, and, if you, you know, and it's not until you get to the New Testament that the Old Testament is revealed. Does that make sense? And so the reason I said all of that is because when we start looking at these feasts, we might just think, oh, well, that's just something that God did for them to remember something. But we have to remember, and, and I think the last thing on this page, we put different, I, I, I put this down, different layers to Scriptures. You know, that's the thing I love about, I love about the Scripture uh, is that, you know, 30 people could read the same Scripture and get 30 different things. There's so many levels to the Scripture because it, it really depends on where you are, what, you're, you know, what your heart is prepared for. Um, you know, because some people can read a Scripture and they, they just read right over it and, and it not mean anything to, some, to somebody. And somebody else might read that same Scripture at the exact same time and just start bawling because, because they read something else and something else spoke to them or whatever the case may be. Not that the first person was necessarily wrong or bad for not getting anything out of it. It's just at that moment, it wasn't speaking to them versus somebody else. I mean, we've all done that. I've read scriptures. I mean, I've read through the Bible 10, 15 times probably. And, and so I've read every scripture in the Bible. But there's times I open the Bible up and I read that and I'm thinking, I've never seen that. You know, wow, look at that. I mean, can you believe that? Look, look, that, look, at, look it's in there, look. You know, but I, and I've read it I don't know how many times. So see, it's not, you know, there's different layers and different levels to the Word of God. And so depending on where we are and, and the season in our life and everything, um, you know, I mean, you know, it can make a difference. So the three levels I put down, I mean, these are, and there, there may even be more than this, I don't know. But I just put, the first one is just the simple meaning. In other words, it's the story. 
you know, you read the story of Joseph being sold by his brothers and, and goes into slavery and then he goes into the prison and, and then he gets promoted to the palace and then he gets accused and gets put back in the prison. And then he, you know, he, he just back and forth. And you read the story and you're like, wow, man, that's a wild story. Well, then, then you know, if, if, if you just have the simple revelation of it or the simple meaning of it, you, you could go and just say, well, you know, well, that, was a, that was definitely a wild ride for Joseph, you know. But then the second one is the practical application of the, of the Scripture. In other words, then you could, take, you could take Joseph's story and you could start pulling little nuggets out of it saying, you know, I know God's got a plan for me and I know God's taking me somewhere. And even though right now it looks like, man, I thought I was going here, but then all of a sudden, you know, this happened and it blindsided me and I didn't realize that. And now it looks like I'm, I'm in, a, you know, in a pit somewhere. But you know what? I know God's going to pull me through and I know that just like He did for Joseph, you know, God's got a plan and He's going to see that that plan gets fulfilled. You know, so there's a practical application that I can read that story and it can encourage me and it can help me and bless me to where I can pull things out of it to say, to say you know, that can really help me in my life today. So that's deeper than just, have, just reading the simple story just for the sake of reading it. So you have the, the simple story level, then you have the practical application level, but then the thing about Scripture, and this is the, this is the part really you got to really, uh, you really got to dive into the Scriptures for this last part, and it is the prophetic image of the Scripture. In other words, you know, who would have known, you know, I mean, there's no way you could have known other than just by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when you read the story of Joseph that you could, you could put Jesus in that story and see how his life folds out just like the story of Joseph did. You know, and that's the prophetic. When you go back and read that, and now, now even tonight, even tonight, if you go home and read the story of Joseph, I guarantee you, you'll start thinking about Jesus. Because we mentioned it, and, and we talked about it. And you can start seeing, you know, prophetically. You have to remember, these, these stories that were written in here, these stories, man, they were, they were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. But yet, they, they are an exact picture of, of everything that... that uh, you know, that happened in Jesus' life. The prophecies are, are the same way. But, so there's different levels to this. And so as we, as, we, as we go forward and we start looking at the, the feasts, just know this. Know that, know that if you don't understand it, you know, you can always dig deeper and ask the Lord for more revelation because almost always when you read stories, the stories in here are not just in here for just to take up space. There's, there's, you know, there's reasons why God put these stories in here, and we just have to dig into the Scripture and find those out. Amen? All right, so that was my introduction to all that. So let's turn to Leviticus 23. And uh, now we're just going to touch on these tonight. In the next few weeks, we're going to start, we'll look at each one of these individually and, uh, and talk about them. Some we'll spend a little bit more time on than other ones. But um, because, you know, um, think how to say this. There's so much. There's so much depth in these these stories, and in the in what we can pull out of here. That if we that that you know. Uh, well, let me ask this question. How many of you all have ever heard sermons on the feasts of the Lord, like you've been taught on the feasts? A few of you. Okay. Some of you have. But but a lot of people. Now listen. When I grew up. To be honest with you, I can't ever remember hearing a sermon on the feasts of the Lord. Now, they talked about them, I mean, and some of them more than others, like Passover. We're all familiar with Passover, um, you know, but, and we're all familiar with Pentecost, right? Uh, 
But, but you know, if, if I ask a question, and I won't do this, I won't put you on the spot, but if I ask a question and ask you, you know, what's the purpose of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? You know, now that y'all read the thing, you could tell me, but, but who could have told me that before? Who could have told me what that meant? You know, the Feast of Tabernacles. What, what, what was the Feast of Tabernacles? The, the, the Feast of Trumpets. What did that mean? You know, what, what's, the, what's the significance of blowing a trumpet, you know, or whatever? And, and if, you don't, if you don't understand this, then you miss a lot. For example, like if you, if you don't understand the true meaning of Passover and the, why Passover is celebrated and why Jesus said that it's important for us to know that, then when, when you come over into the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus is our Passover. So if you don't understand Passover and you don't understand the significance of what happened in Passover, then that scripture won't mean anything to you. But when you understand Passover, and when you understand the power in Passover and what happened that night in, in, in Egypt on the, on the night of the very first Passover, and then you come to the New Testament and you find out Jesus is my Passover, man, you, I mean, you're just like, wow. You know, that makes me fall in love with Jesus even more. You know, because now you understand the significance of Passover. When, I mean, you know, in a couple of these, a couple of these things, a couple of these feasts, you'll find that, that, that they carry such deep meaning that, if, that, you know, scriptures that meant nothing to you in the past, when you learn about this and when you understand what all of this is, you'll start, you'll start saying, wow, that, that is pretty awesome. I mean, that opened up some, some, you know, some revelation that I never had. So here in Leviticus 23, this is one of the places. Now, you'll find, we'll find the mention of these feasts um, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. They're in, they're in all three or four different places. talks about um, you know, the, the rules and the, how God set it up and different things like that. And we'll, we'll be looking at some of that, but, but uh, most of them, most of them you know, um, pretty much speak for themselves and and we'll we'll read the story. But notice here in, in Leviticus twenty three and verses uh, verse one, it says this. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Now let's look at a couple of things even before we get into what those feasts are. Notice what he said. Jesus, or God was talking to Moses here, and he said this. He said, he said, I want you to speak to the children of Israel. Tell them this. He said, concerning the feasts of the Lord. Now, here's another classic example. If you, if you just read that story, or if you read that verse, and you think, when we think of a feast, we just think of like a party, right? We just think of a feast. You know, man, we have a feast at Thanksgiving, you know. And then, and then you read the rest of that verse, and especially from the King James, where it just says, it says, you know, which you shall proclaim to be a holy convocation. Well, who knows what convocation means, right? I mean, yeah, you know, a gathering maybe, or a, you know, or a, you know, who knows what it means. So you read that story and you're like, eh, you know, don't really mean much to me. But now check this out. When you, when you see the meanings of these words, the word feast, now I'm not going to try and pronounce the Hebrew, uh, uh, language because I'm not I'm barely good with English so uh, <laughs> but the word feast actually means this when you study the word feast it actually means this it means appointed time so what God was saying God said these appointed times of the Lord so what he was saying was 
Tell all of Israel that there are certain times that I have appointed, I have made an appointment, and I want them to show up to it. And it's what we call the feasts of the Lord. Now, it's very important also, notice that it's not necessarily just the feast of Israel. It wasn't Moses' feasts. He didn't say that it was, it was just Israel's feast. Notice what he said. He said, these are appointed times of the Lord. And then he even echoed that at the bottom, and he said, he said, these are of me. You know, so these feasts or these appointed times we're going to look at, they are of the Lord. Now, that word convocation, what does that word mean? If you look that word up, it means this. It means a gathering. It does mean a gathering. It means a, a coming together. But also, it, it means this. Now, this, this is awesome. Listen to this. That word also means this. It means a rehearsal. So God said, God said, tell Israel that, that I have an appointment with them and they have to come together because it is a rehearsal of the things that I'm going to do. I mean, man, that is awesome. It's a public meeting or a rehearsal. Now, think, just think about that for a moment. Think about, you know, we had the Christmas play. And, you know, those kids rehearsed that Christmas play. What were they doing? They were going over their lines and they were saying them and saying them and saying them. And they were rehearsing. They were practicing. They were going through. Why? So that, so that when the, day, the night of the Christmas play came, they would be able to perform it without a hitch. And they knew. Guess what? There wasn't one thing happened that night at the Christmas play that took those kids by surprise. Why? Because they had been rehearsing. So these, these appointments that God made, and the reason that he talked about, when we looked at in Colossians, we talked about types and shadows. Those types and shadows that he talks about, when you come to the, New, or the Old Testament here, you find God saying that this is a rehearsal. These, these feasts, these, these appointed times that I want you to meet with me, he says they are a rehearsal for what's going to happen in the future. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's good stuff. So, now, let me, let me say this, because um, as, we, as we get ready... Well, let me go ahead. We'll go ahead and go over the seven feasts, and then, and then we need to talk about... Um, as we get ready to go into it, we need to talk about the, uh, the way that Israel... The way that Israel kept time and how, that they, um, how they determined like the first day of the month and, and how to keep these things. Because, because you notice if you, go on, um, if you go on down to verse 3, he says this. You know, right after verse 2, he says, you know, that this, is, this is a rehearsal, this is my appointed times, and this is a rehearsal of these feasts. Um, and he says this, Six days shall work, shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. There again, that, that, meet, or that gathering or even a rehearsal. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. And then he said in verse 3, These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations or the, you know, the, the public meetings or, or the rehearsal. He said, These are the public convocations which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. So in the 14th, the very first one, he says, In the 14th day of the first month, at evening is the Lord's Passover. So here he told him he gave them, he gave them very specific um, dates and times. He said on the fourteenth day of the first month at evening. Now, 
we think of a day as starting at midnight. You know, we go from midnight to midnight is one day. For Israel, and, and we'll, this, will, this will play huge when we start talking about when Jesus died on the cross and, and how he spent three days and three nights, you know, and how people, you know, people figure, you know, and, and, and you'll find this out. Uh, we talk about this at Christmas. We talk, and, you know, we talk about it at Easter as well. But what we celebrate as Christmas and even how we celebrate Easter is totally wrong. You know, we have Good Friday where everybody talks about that Jesus died on a Friday. He didn't die on a Friday. If you do, and, and I'll show you, I mean, well, I, I'll put it this way. I don't think he did. You know, I, I ain't going to say it 100% sure because I don't know but for 100%. But, but from the studying I've done, you'll find out, and even, even, after, even after studying more about the, these feasts, you'll find out that he actually died on a Wednesday. And then, and then Sunday, when he was risen from the grave on that Sunday morning, that would be his three days and three nights. But they counted, they counted a, a day, the Israel people counted evening, when it got dark, was the start of their day. So in other words, like today, like at 6 o'clock or whenever it started getting dark outside, that would be the start of their day. And as a matter of fact, if you, if you go back all the way back to Genesis, and if you read, if you read the account in Genesis, how does, how does, it, um, how does the, the Bible even talk about when God created all this stuff, God said, um, he would say, and the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. So see, even in Genesis, you see that the evening is when it started the day. So, so Israel, I mean, you know, the, the Israel uh, nation and the Hebrew nation, they, start, they would start their day at evening when it got dark. And the reason that's important is because because of the way they count the, you know, because of the way the moon is and, and everything there. So, so we'll get into that just a little bit later. So, so he starts off here with, with Passover. So let, I'm, I'm just going to read this, and then we'll hit each one of these in the coming weeks. So these are the seven feasts. You have Passover, which was, we just read that in, in verse 4 there, where it says that it's the first month, the 14th day. The first month of, of uh, Israel's calendar would fall sometime in March or April. And the reason I say that sometime in March or April is because, and I'll go ahead, I was going to wait to the to end, but I'll share this. I told you Israel, Israel <clears throat> counted their days by the moon. Um, the problem with that, as far as our, as far as, as far as we go, is that, you know, our calendar and everything the whole earth cycle is based off of the sun. The moon, if you count the cycles of the moon, and, and the moon actually, uh, it, it will act, the moon recycles. It goes from, you know, I mean, we all know the moon goes from like a full moon, and it starts getting, well, actually, it starts with a sliver. Israel counted the, the first day of the month was when the, the sliver of the moon was showing. And then as it got bigger and bigger, it, it, you know, it, went, it went from you know, the first, second, third, fourth day. The, new, or the full moon would be like the last day of the month. So uh, the problem with that is this. The moon recycles, or the moon goes through its cycle in 29 and a half days. If you take, if you take that for a whole year, then they're 11 days short of the, of the sun's rotation of the earth. 
The problem with that is that these feasts that we're getting ready to talk about, God set them up at very specific times. And you're going to find that like the, the spring feast were set, up, were set up right when the harvest would be coming in. The fall feast were set up to celebrate the end of the harvest and to celebrate the rain season coming in. If, if every year they were 11 days off, it wouldn't be but two or three, month, two or three years and the, the spring feast would end up being in the middle of summer or even, even eventually get to winter and all of these feasts would be totally off. So what do they do? Every three years, the Jewish people, they actually add a month to their calendar. The last, the last month of the Jewish calendar is uh, Adar, A-D-A-R, and in every three years, they have Adar 1 and Adar 2. And the reason they do that is to keep these feasts in the time frame that they're supposed to be. Because if, if like I said, if they... If they didn't add that month, then Passover would go from March and then to April and then to May and then to June and July, and Passover would not be, they would not be able to celebrate these feasts like they do because the rain season would set in, and you know, and then when they're supposed to be celebrating harvest, it'd be in the middle of the rain season and they couldn't do it. So, and, and actually, does anybody, does anybody know, does anybody know uh, how we determine when Easter is, you know how Easter changes, you know, every year? Well, Easter is actually determined off of the moon cycle. Easter is the, our Easter that we celebrate. Easter is actually celebrated the first, uh, the first full moon after the first day of spring. And it's, it's the first Sunday after the first full moon. So it could be anywhere from like March 20th or all the way to like April 20th or something like that or, or somehow in there. It, it could be through that whole month. Sometimes it's, or no, actually the first of March all the way through the, the end of April. So it can be anywhere from that. There's like a 30-day span that it can be. Well, what is that 30 days? That's the 30 days that's added back every three years to the Jewish calendar. So, I mean, it's very interesting. And I'm telling you, how God set this up and how he, how he got these feasts to be perfect is an amazing thing. I mean, and, and this, just, this will blow you away once we start learning about this. So Passover. I'll give you just a brief description of what these feasts are, and then, uh, and then like I said, in the weeks to come, we'll, we'll look at them. Passover is the first month, the 14th day, and it's in our March or April. And what Passover is, is of course... When the blood of the lamb was struck on the three outer posts of the Hebrew house that supernaturally protected them, their firstborn. And that's what Passover is. Unleavened bread starts actually the day after Passover. And what it celebrates is this it's, and it says that it's the 15th day of the 21st or the 15th day of the first month, and it lasts seven days. Well, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to celebrate or for them to remember how they had to leave Egypt in a hurry and they didn't have time to gather leaven and for their yeast or for their bread to rise, they had to get their stuff and get out. Remember in Passover, we'll, we'll see this in Passover, but remember in Passover God told them, eat with your, with your loins girded? In other words, be fully clothed and pick up your, pick up your, your clothes and eat fully clothed so that when I say it's time to go, you go. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was, was remembering, it was, it was put out there, God put that feast out there 
so that they could remember that they had to leave Egypt in a hurry. And it's a picture of sin being left behind. Passover, Passover was actually the, the blood of the Lamb. Passover was actually fulfilled when Jesus shed His blood on the cross. The first Passover was the type of Jesus shedding His blood. Unleavened bread was a type of when Jesus, when He died on the cross, what did He do next? He went to hell to pay for our sins. Unleavened bread is a, is, is the fulfillment of unleavened bread was when Jesus took the leaven out of our lives. In other words, He took the sin out of our lives. He paid the price for sin so we never have to deal with sin again. Now, yes, we deal with it, but it's a picture of our house being swept clean. You know, because think, think, what, think what leaven does. If you put leaven in, in uh, uh, dough, what does it do? It puffs it up. What does sin do? Sin puffs us up. And, you know, so, so for seven days in the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that they still celebrate, they can't, you know, Israel cannot, they cannot eat leaven for seven days. And it, it reminds them that Jesus paid the price for their sins, that they left Egypt in a hurry, and, and, uh, they, and, and the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is for seven days. Then the Feast of first fruits, and we'll go into these more, in more detail. First fruits marks the first ripened barley in the land, and it introduced the ritual of presenting a sheaf to the Lord at the temple, and it lasts for 49 days. So the Feast of first fruits is the first Sabbath, of unleavened bread. And so, so in, during that seven days of unleavened bread, wherever the feast or wherever the Sabbath starts or wherever the Sabbath uh, falls, I should say, the next day starts the feast of first fruits. And it goes for 49 days. Now, those were, those were, the, first, those were the three spring feasts. The, the seven feasts were really split into... into really just two sections, but we could almost say three. There was the spring feast, and then Passover, I mean, uh, Pentecost comes 50 days after first fruits. 50 days after first fruits, Pentecost comes, and then after Pentecost, it goes like three months until the fall feasts. So you have Passover, and then unleavened bread starts the day after. Then first fruits starts the Sabbath, it starts the, the first Sabbath of the Unleavened Bread Feast. Fifty days from first fruits, you have the next, uh, you have the next feast or festival, and, and it's Pentecost. Now, you can see why I gave you this paper, because I'd be confusing everybody if you didn't have this. Pentecost, or, or is also called the Feast of Weeks, because from first fruits, now, I mean, and, and we'll explain all this, I promise. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. From first fruits, it's seven weeks of seven. Just like Daniel's prophecy of seven, seven weeks of seven, the 49, you know, the 490 years for, you know, just, or seven weeks of 70, just like that. Then here, Pentecost comes seven, seven sevens after, after the first fruits. And what is Pentecost? Pentecost will fall somewhere in May or June, depending on, you know, how the, those other ones fall. Pentecost is the celebration linked to the wheat harvest. But we know it more by the very first Pentecost was when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And then the, then the uh, oh, and let me say this, I'm sorry. First fruits, the first fruits was, uh, was fulfilled when Jesus raised from the dead. When he was resurrected, first fruits was fulfilled because, because they, the Bible says that Jesus was our first fruit from the grave. 
So he was, he was the fulfillment of the first fruit. The Pentecost was, the, was when the law was first given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, we know from, from the New Testament, Pentecost was fulfilled when? When the Holy Spirit was given to us. And, you know, and, and just like when, when Moses, if you remember when Moses gave, when God gave Moses the law, what happened that day? 3,000 people died. Because you remember Moses come off the mountain and he found Aaron and the whole, the whole uh, group of Israel there had made a, a, a molten, had, molded, had uh, melt, melted all their, their gold and made a statue of a calf and were worshiping it. And Moses got some mad. He threw the, could you imagine that? Here he had two big stones in his hands that God wrote on and that God had given him. He got so mad at the people, he just threw those things down to the ground and busted them. In a, just, they just shattered. And, you know, so, so Moses, you know, so Moses here, uh, you know, I mean, that, that just, you know, the, the people just made him so mad, he just threw them down. And, and so what happened, when, when that happened, there was like 3,000 people died that day. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, guess what happened? Peter stood up and preached that first sermon, and 3,000 people got born again. Is the, between, the difference between law and grace. And then from Pentecost, then there's a three-month period until the, the, fest, the feasts of the, of the fall. We are still living in that three-month period, and prophetically speaking. Because the three feasts that come in the fall, the Feast of Trumpets, the, the Atonement Feast, and the Feast of Tabernacles, has not been fulfilled yet. They will be fulfilled. The, the, the Feast of Trumpets will be fulfilled at the rapture. The, the atonement, when God pays, the, the atonement is, is the day that, that sins are paid for. That will be the tribulation period. And then the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles will be the millennial reign when, when God comes down and, and, and Jesus comes down and we, we tabernacle with Him for a thousand years before the new heavens and the new earth come down. So, uh, you know... Let's look, let's look at the, the trumpets and Day of Atonement and Tabernacles. Trumpets is a day of rest. And really, to be honest with you, uh, trumpets is one of those that they blow trumpets that day, but there's nothing else really mentioned about it. It's just a day of rest. Many people believe that, that it's a day to prepare for the Day of Atonement because the Day of Atonement was a big day. Um, the, because the trumpets were, were happened on the seventh month on the very first day, the, the, the Day of Atonement happened on the seventh, month, the seventh month, the tenth day. So there were nine days or ten days in between those. What was the Day of Atonement? If, if you know the story of redemption and, and the plan of redemption, the Day of Atonement was when, was when the priests, uh, one day a year the atonement was made for all the Israelites and Levites and the high priest, and the high priest himself would enter into the Holy of Holies on that, on that day. The, the Day of Atonement is when they, they, they would have two lambs, and he would... He would basically bless one of them, and then the other one was offered as a sin, offer, sin sacrifice. And so he would send the one, they would tie a ribbon around it, and they would put it off in the woods and send it away. And, and tradition had it for them that if that lamb found its way back into the camp, it was a bad sign. It was a sign that God didn't, God didn't accept their offering that day. So, so they, they, were, they were always watching to make sure that lamb, the scapegoat, didn't get anywhere near the camp. <laughs> because they wanted to make sure that scapegoat was gone. And then the, the priest would take that, the high priest would take that other lamb, 
He was the sacrifice. He would shed the blood, then he would take that blood into the Holy of Holies one time a year. That, that high priest, we'll, get, we'll probably get into this a little bit, but that high priest purified himself something for like three months before he could enter into the Holy of Holies. One day a year, one man could enter into the Holy of Holies. And then he had to be so full of smoke and so full of, so full of incense that he couldn't see anything because that's how holy the presence of God was. But, uh, but, but at, the end of, at the end of this whole story, we understand this, that when Jesus died on the cross and when he came back and rose again, that spirit, that same spirit that was, that was in the Holy of Holies now lives on the inside of us. Man, that's powerful. So then, um, so that's the Day of Atonement. Then you have Tabernacle, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's the seventh month, the 15th to the 21st day. This is an interesting one because this was, this was to, to commemorate or for them to remember that, that the nation of Israel spent 40 years out living in tents in the wilderness. And what they have to do is they have to go, <clears throat> every, every Israelite had to go outside of their house and build a tent or build a shelter and there were specific things like they had to be able to see the stars the wind had to be able to blow through it and uh, for seven days the whole family lived outside and they, they lived in the in the tabernacle or in the tent that they built and what that is that's symbolic of when when Jesus will come back and he'll live with us during that thousand year millennial reign um, and it's, it's interesting it's interesting here that um, a lot of people, uh, you know, some people even say that, that they think that Mary, when Mary and Joseph came, to, came uh, to Bethlehem, that it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's why everybody, that's why they ended up staying in a cave, you know, because it's always kind of weird to think, you know, that Scripture says that there were no room for them in the end. But, but if it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, then everybody would have been outside anyway, and that's why there wouldn't be no room. That's why there wouldn't be rooms for them in the end, and why they, why they stayed in, the, in, the main, or, you know, in, a, in a barn so, or a cave, so to speak. I don't know. That's just something that, that people say on that, but, but, uh, but, but it is interesting. Um, so all of these, so you can see this is going to be a very interesting study. And did I, did I thoroughly confuse everybody? Yeah, <laughs> I promise you. As we unpack it, uh, you you will learn a lot, okay? And you will you will see these feasts and and uh, and how they how they relate to each other, how how you can uh, how you can jump in and and uh, and understand this. Let me make sure I had a couple other things. It seems like I'm forgetting something. Uh, I want to make sure that I get. Our introduction good here. Seems like there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about. The calendar, I did that. All right, well, I think I got everything. Any questions that I probably won't be able to answer? <clears throat> I mean, does, that, does it kind of make sense to you a little bit? I mean, how God orchestrated it all and how, how all of that, you know. Uh, here's the interesting thing, and, and we'll find this out. When you start realizing some of the things that some of the things that happen on these days, uh, for example, uh, I'll give you this a little tidbit. I, I got a couple minutes. When you start studying the when you start studying Jesus coming into coming into Jerusalem, the the what we call the 
the triumphant week, you know, and, and when he comes in riding on a donkey and different things like that. Passover, we're going to look at this next week, but Passover, the way Passover worked was this. When God instituted Passover, he, he made the, or, or some of his instructions was this. The families had to take a, a lamb and they had to pick the perfect lamb and they had to live with that lamb in the house for four days. They would bring that lamb into their house and it would become their pet. Now, I don't know, I don't know if, if you're not an animal person, this may, you may not relate to this, but, but, you know, we had like a stray dog come up a while back, and, and, you know, after a day or two, man, you fall in love with animals. You know, I mean, sometimes you want to get rid of them, but, but, some, uh, but most of the time you'll fall in love with animals. Could you imagine, like, your kids having this adorable little lamb living in a house with them for four days? And then after four days, Daddy has to go up and say, Son, I've got to kill that thing now. You know, and the whole family watches. It's not like the dad goes out in, the, out in private somewhere and does it. I mean, they sacrifice it in front of everybody. Because, and the reason they do that, the reason God did that, is because he, wants, he wanted them to know. Remember, it was a foreshadow of what Jesus would go through. He wants them to see the suffering that that little lamb went through because it would foreshadow of what the suffering that Jesus would go through for us. And they, they instructed, you know, God instructed them to tell the story about how they, they, to this day they would still take the blood and they would, they would sprint, put it on the, on the right and left doorpost and on the top. On the top. And, and that was a picture of, of the salvation of God not coming in the firstborn. It's interesting why they didn't put it on the, on the, the floor. The reason they didn't put it on the floor was because in Hebrews it tells us that when we turn our back on God, uh, what is it, Hebrews 13, I think? Um, or maybe Hebrews 10, I can't remember. But where, where it says that when we turn our back on God, it's like trampling the blood of Jesus under our feet. So if they put it on the floor, that would be, they would trample on the blood. So on Passover, it was only on the right and the left and up ahead, up above. They didn't put it on the floor because the blood of Jesus is not to be trampled on. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, all these little tidbits that you, that you would never know or never think about. But they, they took that lamb and they, they kept that lamb in the house for four days. Well, guess what? Guess what day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem? He rode into Jerusalem four days before his crucifixion. So what that was a picture of, and, it was, and, and the Bible tells you what time he came in. The reason that's significant is this, is because you had, the people had to take their lambs and present them to the priest to make sure that the priest approved of their offering. And at the very time that the people were bringing the lamb to present before the priest, Jesus is riding into town and everybody's laying, laying palm branches down saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God to the highest, you know, and, and, and welcoming the lamb that would be sacrificed for them four days later. They had no idea they were doing that, but, but yet they were. And so Jesus came in, and, and, he was, and he came into the house, so to speak, for those four days because he was with his people. He was with his nation. He came into the house for those four days before he was sacrificed. Very interesting. Very, I mean, the timing, the timing of, of all this stuff is just incredible. So, so next week we will look at Passover and, uh, and the details of Passover and the, and the significance of that. And then some of these weeks we'll probably be able to get a couple of them uh, you know, a couple of them at, at one week, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Amen. So, if I confused you, 
go home and study. <laughs> you know, get get you you know, go home and open your Bible up and and study. Ask the Holy Spirit to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He'll help you with it. Amen. And then ask the Spirit, Holy Spirit to help me so that I can unconfuse you. Right. So <laughs> so in the weeks to come. Well, let me pray for you and then we'll go. Father, we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your mercy tonight. Uh, thank you for the for the scriptures that we've read tonight, Lord, and the introduction here to the feasts of the Lord. Father, your feast, your planned times, your um, uh, the things that you've that you've set into motion that that you want us to know about. So we thank you for that. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you for giving us understanding in this matter. Help help me, Lord, that I can get it out where they can halfway understand it, and and then Holy Spirit, you'll just have to unconfuse them from there. Uh, so thank you, thank you, Holy Spirit, for for helping us all, and being our teacher and, be, and showing us these things and the importance of these things. So I pray blessings on each one as we go our ways tonight. Thank you for uh, just for blessing us and giving us a good rest of the week, giving putting people in front of us, Lord, that we can share the gospel with. I thank you for that in Jesus' name, Amen.